Good morning, everyone. We're going to start off today with what is this place, which is number 22, 22 in the hymnal. I invite you to stand with us. We have gathered together as God's people to delight in God's presence, to experience God's healing, and to receive God's grace. Let us be reconciled and renewed as we worship our God through Christ in the Spirit. We gather together in this place, in our own places, uh, through live stream as well. The Spirit of God invites all to worship the Creator at this time and in our places which dwell on Treaty 1 territory the ancestral lands of the Métis Nation, the Dakota, the Cree, Oji Cree, Dene, Haudenosaunee, and Anishinaabe. May we be stewards, may we steward the gifts of this land and love all the people who dwell on it. Let's pray. O oh God, we joyously come together to worship, realizing we need not summon you into our midst, for you are here. We need not call you into the secret places of our hearts, for you are there. We need our eyes of faith to be opened, that we may see you. Our ears to be unstopped, that we may hear you. Our minds to be sensitive, that we may know you. Our hearts to be tender, that we may receive you. Grant each one a blessing, O Lord, as each has need. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
attention to a couple of things in the bulletin. Um, one is the heartfelt thanks from Barb and family, Barb Gunther and family, regarding all the thoughts and prayers and cards, flowers, food, and everything uh, uh, during the passing of our husband, father, and grandfather, Phil. Also, please take note, Mel is going to be on vacation this week. Um, if, you, if there's an emergency that arises or if you need to get a hold of him, he will be reachable. Uh, Kathy has, uh, has the contact availability for, for him, and so do please contact Kathy at the office if you do. And another announcement is that we are looking for Sunday school teachers for the fall and winter. And uh, so if that's something that you would like to participate in and be part of this, uh, uh, part of this congregation in doing that, please contact Marion uh, Hebert or Alexandra Nickel um, if you're interested in their contact information is in the bulletin if you would like to, uh, to have that information. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. summer, let us continue in our practice of contemplative prayer with those words. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. still and know. Be still. Be. Be 
still. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I am God. Such a nice summer day. It's beautiful to be here. So I ask you, are you ever envious? Wishing you had what others do. Thinking that they have it so good, I wish that that life was mine, or the job, or the house, the family, the reputation, the opportunity, all those things. Envy, different than jealousy. Envy is wishing that I had what the other person does. For example, I wish I had a good relationship with my boss as my co-worker does. Jealousy is being fearful of losing what I have to someone else. So, for example, when I see my co-worker spending so much time with my boss that I feel I'm going to lose that special relationship that I have with them. Sometimes we envy very small stuff and we hardly notice it or we even smile at it. For example, a week ago we remembered Phil's life and and he had a golf game that I could only wish for. A little bit envious sometimes of how well he could do that. Sometimes it's bigger, like someone else's ability to do a job better, to, to get where I couldn't get to, which sometimes means bigger offices, higher wage earnings, more opportunities or prestige, so that, I don't know, I can attend a jet game in the higher price lower bowl not in the toilet bowl where I sit when I go, or even a box. Maybe to be consulted as knowledgeable in the community, be known and needed and wanted for those kinds of things, or maybe to be elected for a board or a position or something important in the community where I get to do decision-making with others, or to give our children or our grandkids more and bigger of what we never had, all that they deserve and which they now get because others have it too. I'm going to spend my next three sermons in the Psalms, and they're filled with so much human emotion, and likely for that reason, they're our favorites often. 
If you're feeling something, it's likely expressed there in the Psalms, and therefore it provides comfort, knowing that it's okay to express these things that sometimes we don't think we should be speaking of to God or to others, or to also let us know that we're not alone when we're feeling the many things that we feel as life comes at us. Well, I recently came across Psalm 73, and I don't know if I'd ever read it well before or read it. There's a lot of Psalms, and I was struck by the sense of envy at its beginning. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps almost slipped because I was envious of the arrogant, the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pain. Their bodies are always sleek and sound. They're not troubled or plagued like others. They're always at ease, and they increase their riches. All in vain I kept my heart pure and my hands washed in innocence because all day long I am punished and I'm plagued in the morning when I awake. There's a whole lot of hyperbole and generalizing going on in this song. The writer considers what others have and that he doesn't, and he attributes it to wickedness. Now, that can be the case. Without using names, there are many famous and well-known business people who retain many famous lawyers. And here in town, I'm sure there are stories about who has made their money and how and on their reputation. Yet, their success isn't always because of wickedness. It's about good business sense or practice, inherited money, or just plain hard dogged work. The Psalms are poetry and music and imagery, and it's not always to be taken literally. So here the writer exaggerates by saying they have no pain, their bodies are always in great shape, they don't have any trouble, they're always at ease, and they re- keep getting richer. Well, that's not really true. Literally, or at least not always. But it can be generally felt to be so when observed by the one who can't get what they need easily to stay healthy, for example, who don't, whose kids don't have all the things that the other children do, or simply sometimes just us wanting to have what that other person has because it would make life so much better. It's then that envy called one of, the, one of the seven deadly sins, kind of easily rears its ugly head. Envy. It can affect how we live with ourselves. We can start to work too hard to get that which we think we want, maybe even think we need. More time at the office, less time at home. We can let money or reputation or promotion and status become the standard by which all of our decisions are being made. It can begin to affect how we live with others. We can become less kind, less gracious, and hospitable with others because they have what we kind of wish we want, and and that's not fair. Maybe they got it instead of me. They can become almost a bit of an enemy, someone I don't quite trust, one to be critiqued and judged and, and gossiped about with others. Or we can even begin to think that we're more spiritual than they are because, well, as Jesus said, blessed are the poor, those who weep and the meek. We need to find reasons why we are good and they're bad. 
And in so doing, we can become other than that, which is to be characteristic of those who know God in Christ. Now, somewhat ironically, envy can be a motivator. Seeing success and achievements and the life of the other and wanting it that way, we maybe would also dig in to get it for ourselves. But equally, and likely more frequently, envy is a killer. Sometimes, literally, leads to violence. Other times, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, damaging to the one held captive by wanting what the other has. Well, if that is us sometimes, or when it is probably, maybe we can try to identify it within ourselves and consider ways to loosen its grip. I think I saw some kids, so if you want to come to the front, I have a story again this week. I stuck firmly in Creatures of Make-Believe, so we're going to read about Thelma the Unicorn. Let's just give you some time to come up. I know there's kids. You ready? Okay. Thelma felt a little sad. In fact, she felt forlorn. You see, with all her heart, oh, sorry, you see, she wished with all her heart to be a unicorn. Her best friend's name was Otis. He liked her quite a lot. He said, you're perfect as you are, but Thelma said, I'm not. And that was when she saw it, a carrot on the ground. It gave her such a great idea, she squealed and jumped around. She took that simple carrot and she tied it to her nose. I'll say that I'm a unicorn, it just might work, who knows? Well, as she did, a truck drove by, the driver rubbed his eyes. Good grief, is that a unicorn? He shrieked in great surprise. As Thelma watched the swerving truck, It very nearly hit her. Would you believe that truck was filled with nice pink paint and glitter? Oh, Thelma looked amazing. She was a unicorn. I'm special now, she cried out loud. And so a star was born. All across the whole wide world, her fans would cheer her name. Thelma loved it every bit. The fame, the fame, the fame. Thelma was a superstar. Her dreams had all come true. But soon she found that so much fame was kind of tricky, too. You see, her fans were mad for her. They'd scream and cry and laugh. They'd chase her everywhere she went to get her autograph. In fact, they chased her all day long. It never, ever stopped. They chased her while she exercised. They chased her while she shopped. Please don't chase me anymore, she asked the screaming crowd. We'll chase you all we want, they said. We're fans, so it's allowed. And some were not her fans at all. No, some were really mean. 
And some just did the meanest things she'd really ever seen. So one dark night, she felt quite sad, this famous little pony. She said, I thought that I'd feel great, but all I feel is lonely. And so with that, she changed her mind, this lonely unicorn. She cleaned off all her sparkles, and she ditched her magic horn. And then she walked right past the crowd. They didn't even notice. She thought how nice that it would be to see her lovely Otis. And when he asked about her trip beneath their favorite tree, she simply said, oh, it was fun. But I'd rather just be me. All right, you can go back to your seats now. I invite you to stand with us to sing Your Love is Amazing. Maybe instead of me talking, we should just keep singing. <laughs> 
So the writer of Psalm 73 talks with God about the tension of envy. He is envious. He recognized that being so, and as a result, he had almost slipped and stumbled, had spiraled down into self-pity, figuring that a good and clean life, doing all that God would ask, was worthless because he didn't get what he wanted anyways. An old Christian singer, Mark Hurd, I don't know if any of you older folks ever listened to him, really wonderful lyricist, uh, musician, composer. I actually have to tell this story because um, he, um, he was someone I listened to years ago and I still do. Uh, he died in a, in a heart attack, I think actually while he was um, in the middle of a concert. Anyway, he was uh, about to sign a record uh, deal with Bruce Coburn's True North. So anytime Bruce Coburn is mentioned, my ears perk up too. So anyway, um, and Bruce Coburn actually once said Mark Hurd was one of his favorite composers. So if you get to listen to something Mark Hurd, you might want to. Anyway, after all that, once expressed this part about being envious and wanting things, he said it, sang it this way, Ever since I was a young boy, I wondered what to be watching all the grown-ups shaking on the money tree. You know that everybody's got their places. Everyone fits just fine. All except me, Lord. When you gonna give me mine? The song's called Give Me Mine. When you gonna give me importance? When you gonna give me wealth? When you gonna make me like everybody else? As if that's why we follow Jesus. To be blessed. To get the good stuff. Flying in the face of some of our theology at times, and likely probably our hopes, that's simply not true. So two things are recognized as he carries on with his words in Psalm 73. But if I'd say I'm going to go on talking this way, I would not be true to the circle of my friends, of your children. And yet, when I thought of how to understand this, it also seemed wearisome to me. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. You put them in slippery places. You you make them fall into ruin. And me, when my soul was embittered, and when I was pricked in my heart, Well, I was stupid and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. Then I discovered that you are all that I want in heaven and that I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my my heart may fail, but my soul's strength is in God. He is my portion forever. It is good to draw near to God. I will make the Lord God my refuge. So first, this writer acknowledges that if he kept up this self-talk, gossip in the coffee shop about others and what they have, he was not being true to God. He knows that envy and subsequent maliciousness and self-righteousness or self-pity have no place in the circle of God's people. When my soul was embittered and my heart pricked, I was stupid and ignorant, a brute beast before you, God. Those are pretty strong words. Yet, trying to understand the injustice of it all was just as difficult. 
How do I, how can I move beyond that? After all, God wants good for all people. Why should those with so much have it all, while those who do not have enough or as much are asked to suck it up and not be envious? A good God would actually seem to ask for a little envy and righteous indignation and anger even so that the tables would become set for everyone, not only for some. Well, yes, that's what a good God would want, and I believe does want. But apparently, envy is not the way that that's to be accomplished by God's people. In fact, when we're envious, we might be exposing ourselves as nothing more than individualistic clamorers rather than those urging and praying and working, hoping for a collective world, a collective people of God betterment. And that's only understood, the writer says, when he walks into the sanctuary of God. There he comes face to face with God, not to mention that when we are in the sanctuary of God, we come face to face with each other. It's not the situation nor his own inner turmoil, though those are lived in the presence of God as well. But there in front of the just giver of life and all gifts, he expresses hope, even trust, that those who get ahead by means which hurt him will not always succeed. Now, that's almost a bit morbidly satisfying to us sometimes, isn't it? To be assured that those who have so much and maybe don't even deserve all the good stuff, they're going to get there someday. Well, even though we always believe in God's love for all people, Now that's tough to understand, as the psalmist laments. I once heard years ago a speaker say that our belief in God's judgment, a belief that we really don't like that much, and we don't want to talk about judgment much these days, um, unless it's actually those that we deem judgeable, I guess. But he said the judgment is somewhat necessary because only when we believe in God's judgment can we actually stop pronouncing it ourselves. We are called to live and love, letting God do the judging, or at the least, examining our judgments so that we judge what God does and how God does that. So there, in front of the just giver of life and all gifts, the writer expresses trust that God has not forgotten him. His life is not a blessing nor a curse from God. God is simply with him in whatever it is. He has not kept his heart clean and washed his hands in vain. In fact, that's not done to either get a blessing or avoid a curse. That's done to be faithful, though likely still expecting good in the end because we trust that God is good with us and all people. And then secondly, in the sanctuary of God, he not only perceives their end, seeing that he also implies the opposite of that, seeing their end, He's actually seeing the opposite, that of which real life is supposed to be. And it's much more than what he always envies. Real life from God, life worth pursuing, is not what we're often shown, what we think it actually is. What we're shown are, in fact, slippery and fallen places, illusions created by everything that seems to glitter around us, sometimes hiding that which God truly hopes for from all people. It's interesting, all that glitters. I was thought of a story when our son was younger. Um, we had a PlayStation or something. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't a very high end. And something happened here when we had moved to Steinbeck that suddenly he had something bigger. And he was all excited because now he had a system. 
Yeah, he was envious or something that glittered like gold. Folk singer Chuck Newfolt, a Mennonite from Manitoba, now living in Chicago, sings a song called Part of Me Wishes. In it, each verse begins with what part of him wishes had been his life. And he sings it this way. Part of me wishes I'd have lived a life of ease. Part of me wishes no worries had been mine. Part of me wishes I'd have been a billionaire. Part of me wishes a hundred lovers had been mine. But then each verse ends with, but part of me knows if I'd have had that, I surely would have died. I surely would have died. Someone once said that holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Well, I would put envy in the same bottle. He would have died, being a miserable shell, even while he was alive, because he'd have been pursuing illusions. And in doing so, he would have missed out on that which is truly real, life with God and others here and beyond. He would not have been content, would not have been grateful, soaking in the gifts that he had because he would have always been thinking about something else and hoping for something different, something more. Envy doesn't bring life. That which we envy isn't life. Life comes from taking together a long look at God and others and ourselves. When and where we feel envy, we are called to look away from all that glitters because looking at glitter can sometimes drive us crazy. And it will not get at the crux of the meaning and fullness of life that God has to give to us. Now, this is not to minimize the reality of both excesses and scarcity. Not to say, oh, be with happy with what you have. Rather, it's both for those who have much and those with less to look at life with God here and with others to consider what life really is. And so, what faithfulness to God in it really is so that we can aspire to something much higher than what we often aspire to, that which God wants for us and all people, now and always. I'll close with one of Aesop's fables, which repeats that sentiment. A humble glowworm lying in a garden was moved with envy on seeing the effect of lights from a brilliant chandelier in a neighboring palace. And in a melancholy mood, complained of the comparative feebleness of his own splendor. His companion, who was wiser than he, checked his murmurs by saying, Just wait a little. Have patience and observe the event. Well, it was true. After a short time, that light was seen no more, and the palace was left in total darkness. Now, resumed his mate, you see that we have outlustered those many glaring lights, which though brighter for a time, yet hasten the more quickly to nothing. Life and light from God will outshine all others, even if, for a time, that doesn't seem to be true. So may we trust God to reveal that to us, and may we trust God to then, maybe, envy. But not that which isn't life rather to envy that which really is. Amen. We'll be singing I Come With Joy, number 478.
in the hymn book. together. O Lord, grant that we may not be conformed to this world, but may love it and serve in it. Grant that we may never shrink from being the instruments of your peace because of the judgment of the world. Grant that we may love you without fear of the world. Grant that we may never believe that the inexpressible majesty of yourself may be found in any power of this earth. May we firstly love you and our neighbors as ourselves. May we remember the poor and the prisoner and the sick and the lonely and the young searchers and the lost as we remember Christ who is in them all. 
And may we, this coming day, be able to do some work for peace. And God of extravagant mercy, with hands outstretched, you have poured out wonder and pleasure and delight, goodness and beauty and bounty. So take these offerings, we pray, as our protest against all that is evil and ugly and impoverished, trivial and wretched and tyrannical in our world and ourselves. And thus may we and others know ourselves to be blessed. Amen. We're going to finish off with The Lord Lift You Up, number 832 in the hymn book. Why don't we stand for this? Yeah. strength to the weak, freedom to the oppressed, food to the hungry, and good news to the poor. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen.